didn't want to insult the kids by hiding them on the floor in a room. I thought that was insulting to the kids. They would look at us like, just give me the candy. Cut out the middleman. So we're going to cut out the middleman. If you want to hide the eggs when you get home, if you haven't done that already, then you can do that. And uh, so we've got a lot of eggs. So the kids, I'm sorry for all the candy they're going to come home with. Um, My kids, I'm going to make them throw it out. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to eat some of theirs. That's what I'm going to do. You know what's going on. I want to say next next Sunday, right after service, we'll have a potluck dinner. And so bring your favorite uh, meal and hang out and we'll eat and fellowship together. It's a great way to get to know each other. And last time, man, there was some amazing food here. I was like, I don't want to eat what I brought. I want to eat what everybody else brought, right? And that's the goal, right? So um, why don't you come join us for that? Everybody good? Amen. You ready? Amen. I got to say it to y'all. I, I gave myself about six hickeys today, buttoning this top button. <laughs> I pinched my neck so many times, so um, these are self-inflicted wounds, right? Just so you know. All right. I used to have to wear a tie when I was on staff at, at my dad's church. It was either wear a tie, or if you didn't wear a tie, you had to wear a jacket. So usually I would wear a jacket, even if it's 100, because I didn't want to wear a tie. So, But my wife's like, you're a pastor. You need to at least kind of dress up a little bit more often. I'm like, do you know how uncomfortable? Ladies, you should have to wear a tight tie just one day. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. They would not tell us to wear ties, right? They would say, get rid of them. They un- and then we could wear high heels, right? And we could just make it all fa- and, and I, I didn't want to go there, but we could wear hose, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And we can see and feel each other's pain of what it takes to look good, right? Right. All right. Well, Father, we thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for everyone here, and because today is going to be a day of, of resurrection um, in our lives because of what you did. We ask, Father, that there will be a spirit of wisdom and revelation here, that we may know you better. We pray that there will be breakthrough in our lives, God. I thank you because you trust us with your son. Why don't you tell, the, tell God that? Thank you for trusting me with your son. Yeah. So we ask that you would train us today, teach us today from your word, and we ask that it would produce fruit in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you want to open to John chapter 19, uh, we're going re- to read John 19 and 20, and then have a few thoughts. But I do want to say, has anyone seen any commercials for the, the AD Jesus movie that's coming on time on NBC? All right, so if you ha- have me saw the, the last one that Roma Downey and uh, uh, Burnett... What's his first name? Mark, Mark Burnett. They did, anyone see the last one, the Jesus story that they told? The, um, Roma Downey, touched by an angel, you know, that, that lady. Um, it's brilliant. Well, this one uh, picks up where that one left off. And, and um, we're part of a fellowship. Uh, we believe in the, the, the Pentecost. We believe that you're, you can be spirit-filled and empowered. And so uh, uh, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey sat down with our fellowship, which is a, a Pentecostal fellowship, and asked for their input in this new film because it's, they're going to take it through the influence of Holy Spirit. And then they're also going to do, I believe, the book of Acts, the same storyline. So how cool is that? that? I mean, full production, NBC, great actors um, showing what the book of Acts was all about. So um, I encourage you tonight to just set your DVR or record it or watch it or whatever. You have. If you have an old VCR, you can do that if you want to. <laughs> but um, don't miss it. Watch it. Watch it with your kids. My kids, they, I mean, they really do. They love watching the Jesus movies and the Jesus stories. So um, <clears throat> put it on. Watch it as a family. And that's my last commercial. All right. So John, John chapter 19. And I'm going to read just straight through this, and then we'll go through the notes and what the Lord has for us. All right. So John 19, verse 1. And, <clears throat> and it says, And Pilate then took Jesus... And they scourged him. They beat him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. They literally just began to make fun of him, right? They were, they were, they were laughing at him. They weren't doing it in honor. They were doing it to dishonor him. So Pilate came out to them and said, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may find no guilt in him. How interesting is that, that, that when they asked Pilate, his answer to them was, I can't find anything wrong with this man. Pilate wasn't a believer. Pilate wasn't a godly man. Yet whenever Jesus was presented to him, his only 
the only thing he could say was, there's nothing wrong with this man. He's pure. How many think that's pretty amazing? The, the ungodly court system of the land couldn't even find fault with Jesus. Wow. It was, religious people somehow found fault with him, but ungodly people couldn't find anything wrong with him. I was, we were having some conversations. We had family, um, a family picnic and stuff yesterday, and uh, we were discussing, you know, family members get upset with the church or friends get upset and they leave the church. And they, and they say they're upset with God, but they're, they're not upset with God. They're upset with the people that represent God. And so the, the thing that we always come back to is if people really encounter Jesus and they really encounter God, and if the church gets really good at saying, don't look at us, we're, we're men, we're women, we make mistakes, we stumble, we fall. But if you will connect to Jesus, you'll never be offended with him. It's impossible to have a relationship with Jesus and become offended with him. You, you realize that? There's not someone so bad that they can become offended with Jesus. He's that good. He's that good. And even Pilate, when Jesus was brought to him and he meets him, probably for the first time he sees this man who they call Jesus. He looked at him and he goes, man, this guy's awesome. He's perfect. He's pure. There's nothing wrong with him. So when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said, behold, the man. So the chief priests and the officers uh, saw him, and they cried out, and they said, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Well, take him yourselves, and you crucify him. Like, I, I don't want any part of this. This isn't my fight. <clears throat> he says, You take him and crucify him for yourself, for I find no guilt in him. And he says it again. I find no guilt in him. Then the Jews answered and said to him, But we have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he called himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. How many remember there's a prophecy that says that, that when he was led, it says that he will be led as a sheep to the slaughter, and he will not utter even a single word. I want, I want, I'm going to pick these things out through the story today. There were prophecies, and then Jesus hit the prophecy in the bullseye. By the, way he, by, the, by the way he responded. Man. So Pilate said to him, you won't even speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I also have the authority to crucify you? So then Jesus answered to him and says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from my father. <laughs> For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Interesting. So as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. So he starts back channeling. Hey, let's get this guy out of here. Let's release him. He's done nothing wrong. I don't want, he's, he's basically calling me out saying, I only have authority because of his father. And I don't want to mess up his, this situation where it's on my, my account, right? So let's get, let's release him. He's trying to find a way out. But the Jews kept crying into him and saying to him, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. He begins, they begin to insult him now. They turn on him. Never, never answer a mob or never join a mob either because it will turn on you. It's the truth. So everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. So now they're saying Jesus says he's a king. So not only is he opposing you, he's opposing the man that you answer to. So now Pilate's even more afraid, right? So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement. Interesting. <laughs> but in the Hebrew, it's called Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out to him, Away with him, away with him, and crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered and said, We have no king but Caesar. So they're completely rejecting Jesus. Amen? You guys good? Verse 16. So then he handed him over to them so that they would crucify him. So they took Jesus and he went out and he carried his own cross to the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is Golgotha. There they crucified him with two other men, one on one side and, uh, and Jesus was in between them. There were two thieves, we hear in another account. There were two thieves. 
Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. And so Pilate had this made to put on the cross so people would know who he is uh, when they were crucifying him. But the Jews, when they read this, the people that were angry and wanted to crucify him, they saw the inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. <clears throat> so the, verse 21, so the chief priests uh, of the Jews were saying to Pilate, don't write king of the Jews. He's not our king. Write what he said to you, that he said, I am the king of the Jews. So they wanted to assuage their own guilt and say, we're not, this is, we're not doing this because of us. We're doing this because he had to keep saying he was the king of the Jews. This is his fault. This is not on us. They're trying to you know, push the blame off and justify their actions. But Pilate answered and said, I have written what I have written. And, and, you know, you can think what you want, but when I read things into that, and he heard this whole thing, he sees Jesus as perfect and holy. And then he goes through this example where Jesus says, you only have authority, authority because my Father gives you authority. I believe something happened inside of Pilate, and I believe it wasn't only um, him just inscribing something so people would know who Jesus was. I believe he was declaring, this man is the king of the Jews. I believe he was making a declaration, and they're like, don't write that on there. He's like, I've already written it too bad, right? <clears throat> then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his outer garments and they made, made, that it made four parts, a part for every soldier. And then they took his tunic that was, that was seamless and it was woven into one piece, which was scriptural, by the way. It was obedient to scripture. <clears throat> so they said to one another, let's not tear his tunic, but let's cast lots for it to decide who, who it will belong to. This was to fulfill the scripture. I remember the first one, right? Was that he wouldn't say anything. He would be led like a sheep. Here's the second one. His, his, even his clothes weren't cut up because it says in scripture, they divided my outer garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. There's number two of, of the prophecy in Jesus and the example hit it right in the, in the bullseye. All right? Everyone's still Okay. All right, we're going somewhere, all right? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hit a bullseye today, all right? But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples, whom he loved staring, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, look at your son. Behold your son. And that would be a really hard thing to do, right? If you're a mom, looking at your son in that condition. And then he said to his disciples, he said to the disciples, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her away to the household. So he didn't want her to see what was happening, right? Pretty cool to me. That's the human side of everything going on. Verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill what? The scriptures. So he, was, he wasn't only there to to die on a cross, to, to, be, to forgive our sins. He was there to hit the bullseye on every prophecy about the events. And only until everything was fulfilled did he go to this next part where he says, I'm thirsty. And so there's a jar full of sour wine which was standing there. And there was a sponge full of sour wine upon a branch of hyssop. And they brought it to his mouth. And then Jesus, and that was prophetic as well, therefore... When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. When we talk, people talk about Jesus was killed, Jesus gave up his life. He gave up his life freely as a sacrifice, right? And so I, I, I'm wanting you, as we continue to read through this, to pick out how specific every event that happened was. How specific it was, the, the hyssop, the sour wine, the, the, the things that are about to happen. They're so specific. All it can do is verify that God is who He says He is. And this is where we're going today. I felt like the whole purpose for today, uh, Mandy hit it on the head from the beginning. Matt continued the theme uh, through, through there. The worship continued the whole theme. It's about us being resurrected to life. Because he was raised, we were raised. But there's a critical thing that every one of us has to, has to reconcile within our heart. We have to fully believe that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Amen. Listen to me. 
that is the most critical part of our relationship with God. It is impossible for us to maneuver into a relationship with Him with any doubt that He is who He says He is. Alright, so let's watch this as it continues. So then the Jews, verse 31, because it was a day of preparation, that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a holy day, they asked Pilate to break their legs so that they would die quicker, basically. This is all, all I mean, can you imagine? This is, they're suffocating, and, and the only way they can stay alive is to push themselves up and continue to breathe. And they would get tired, and it would pull their lungs where they couldn't breathe, so they would use their legs, and they would straighten themselves up to breathe until they would die. Well, to speed the process up, they would go and break their legs so they couldn't hold themselves up, and they would suffocate on the cross. Painful. Horrible death, right? So, so they went and asked Pilate to break their legs. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two thieves, the first man and the one that was with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. <laughs> because, one of the, um, <clears throat> because he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And that, again, fulfills prophecy that says not a bone of his body will be broken. It wasn't just accident. <laughs> It was all specific. God is so into the details of our life. He's so into the details of his redemption story that he wrote it out before it came. And then to prove that he is who he says he is, he hits every bullseye of his own prophecy every time. Are you, are you getting this? Think about it. Every detail. The Bible says that before we were formed in our mother's womb, every detail of our life was written out as a, as a love song, as a as poetry over who he says that we are. And, and it says that not one of those days will be, will be checked off the box until he determines for it to. Every detail of your life matters. You are where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Constantly. How many can think back in your life and you, you had these encounters and you're like, dude, for all the events to line up for me to be here in this moment to meet this person or for this thing to happen were, were billions to one odds. How many feel that way? I feel that way about meeting my wife. I mean, the odds of just meeting her, I think of through the history, just running into people, the odds were, were ridiculous. How many, raise your hand, you have a testimony like that of something in your life, it was ridiculous odds, and you thought, man, how did I get to this moment right now for this time? Because the Lord ordained your steps. He spoke them into existence, creating a, um, a, a mo- you're creating a motion for your life, and then he ticks off the box one by one. To, to show us that he is who he says he is. Remember, I, I say this a lot, but what was the one thing that would tick Jesus off more than anyone? When they would try to say, you're not of your father. You're not from the father. It was so important that people saw that God, that the father is who the father says he is. That Jesus positioned his life and he disciplined his life to guarantee that he didn't make a false step or speak a false word that would reflect badly on who his father is. Because the father's reputation was the most important thing to Jesus. He even said, I didn't come for my will to be done. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. He came for the honor of his father's word. One of the soldiers, they pierced his side, and immediately blood and water came out. Again, a prophecy fulfilled. And he who has been, and this is what it says, and he who has seen has testified, and the testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. Verse 36, for these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And another scripture, another prophecy said, they will look upon him whom they pierced. Every detail, every detail. Verse 38, and after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a, dis- a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear, he was, he was hiding, asked Pilate that he may take the body of Jesus away, and Pilate gave him permission. So he took him away, and Nicodemus, who had um, first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus, they bound it in linen wrapping, with the, with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. <clears throat> Verse 41. 
Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had been laid in. Again, lining up step by step the prophecies. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Prophecy fulfilled. Everyone getting this? All right, let's go to verse, uh, chapter 20 real quick and we'll read through this. Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they took him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb and they were running together. And the other disciple ran faster than Peter. Everyone here, that's just funny. I think he's talking about himself here, John. He's like, I'm faster than Peter. I beat him to the tomb. Just I want everyone to know that. It's important. I beat him there. <laughs> so random. But it's not random. <laughs> and the other disciple ran ahead faster, and they came to the tomb first and stopped. And when he got there, he looked in. But because of Peter's personality, he didn't stop. He just jumped in and saw the linings lying there. And, and, and Peter just came after and went into the tomb, saw the linens, saw the face cloth, which had been uh, on Jesus's head, not lying with the linens wrapped, but rolled up in a place by itself. So all the grave clothes were just laying there, but the face cloth was rolled up. <clears throat> so the other disciple who had gotten there first, then also entered the tomb and saw and believed that Jesus was risen. For as they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from, from the dead. So the disciples went away to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb. She was weeping. And she stood and looked in the tomb and saw two angels in while sitting. One, <laughs> they were sitting there. It was awesome. <clears throat> one at the head of, uh, and one at the feet of where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you afraid? Why are you crying? And she said, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've taken him. When she said this to him, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And she didn't know that it was Jesus. So she's looking right at him and did not recognize him. And Jesus said to him, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbani or teacher. So when he said her name, Boom, she knew who he was. Uh, I just want the Lord to say your name to you right now. So she clings to him, and Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to, to the brethren, to, to the other disciples, and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father, and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen my Lord, and... And that he has said these things to her. All right. What's the point of all this? Step by step. Line by line. Jesus' death and his resurrection fulfilled prophecy after prophecy. All right. Here's, here's what I want us to take away from today. Jesus did not die to make bad people good. You've heard this quote before. He, he died to make dead people alive. He, he died to make dead people come alive, right? So when Jesus died, it proved his divinity. All right, we're going somewhere. This is, hopefully this, hopefully this, um, what's the word? I'm wanting today to revive prophecies and promises that you've heard from the Lord that maybe you've forgotten about. Because he is who he says he is. So when Jesus died, it proved he was who he says he was when he rose from the dead. There's a great, uh, you can uh, YouTube search this or, or Google search this. There's a YouTube video of Bono and he's talking and there's a man interviewing him and he's asking him uh, what he believes about God and about Jesus. And he's telling this story and he's like, I believe Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. This is one of the greatest rock stars of our time, at least of my time. One of the greatest rock stars. I know some of the young, younger people in here, he's getting a little older, right? But U2 is one of the top rock bands of all history. Top album sales, songs. Um, and this man, 
the key to this band is standing there saying, I don't just believe in God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And the guy's kind of like, you believe in Jesus, the Messiah? Kind of like, are you stupid? Are you ridiculous? And he's like, he's like, I'm not asking about Jesus. I'm asking, the, the man tells him, I'm asking about, the, about God, the Father. And Bono simply says to him, but it's through Jesus that I know the Father. And when he says it, <laughs> I'm like, man, that's it right there. It's through Jesus. It's through his example that you and I can see who the Father is. It's that It's that example that takes us who were once not a son, who once were not a people, we were not daughters. It's in the life of Jesus Christ that brings us in now and says, you are sons. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when we see the Father, we instantly become sons and daughters because we see him as he is as Father. So when Jesus did these things, his whole life is filled with these bullseye, these prophetic bullseye. And every time he hit the mark, not just so he could show off and say, see, I'm checking off my checklist. He was doing it so that you and I would see that God, the father who speaks things into existence is bound to his word. I'm about to come on. I'm about to get into it. (laughs) I got to undo the tie, roll the sleeves up. I've had a jacket, take it off, right? I feel my dad, my dad's, my dad's a preacher. I'm more of a teacher. So I feel my dad's preach coming on me, right? <laughs> he likes it with the organ behind him. That's how my dad likes it. I'll just tell you right now. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> I believe, again, the most critical thing in our relationship with God is believing that he is who he says he is. That his word is his bond. He does not lie. Would you say this with me? God cannot lie. I'm going to say it again. God cannot lie. It's, it's absolutely impossible. So God cannot lie and Satan cannot tell the truth. Both are completely impossible. So who are we going to believe? One can't lie and one can't tell the truth. Who are you going to listen to? <laughs> He is who He says He is. He will do everything that He says He'll do. If He said that He was going to bless you and increase your family, He's going to bless and increase your family. He can't lie. It's impossible. It will happen. Man. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 20 says, For no matter how many promises there are in God, they, they are yes in Christ. And through Christ we say amen to it. They're precious promises. They're ours. They belong to us. He gave them to us. So this is bridging from this is bridging the gap from last week into what I'm going to talk about, Lord willing, next week. Last week we talked about the fruit of our lives that comes from the altar of God. Next week we're going to talk about the leaves that represent our inheritance. This is our inheritance today. We are in a relationship with a man who cannot lie. Psalm 138, verse 2. If you ever have doubts, write, write these down remember them. So 2 Corinthians 1, 20. Psalm 138, verse 2. It says, For you, O Lord, have exalted above all things your name and your word. So of everything in all of creation that is filled with glory. There's glory everywhere. So everything that God has created is glorious, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. But of all the things He's created and of all the things in existence throughout history, He's exalted above all of those things, His name and the words that He speaks. Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus said this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Isaiah says, that the, the word of the Lord is like the rain that comes down from heaven and it waters the earth and it produces crops and then it evaporates and goes back into the heavens and it does not return without fulfilling the promise. He says, that's what my word is like. It's like the rain that comes down and it will not return to me void, he said. It will not return to me empty. It will not return to me undelivered like an email It comes back fulfilled, right? It's fulfilled. He does not lie. Hebrews chapter 6, 
verses 13 through 15. And, and it says, when God made a promise to Abraham, listen to this. Oh, this is my favorite one. So I may, I may just jump on this one. I don't know. Hit my head on the ceiling like when I was a kid, right? When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't want to undo my typing. Sorry. No. Do you ever hear that? God made a promise to Abraham and he looked around for a witness to swear by. And because there was no one around him that he could swear by, he swore by himself. God. And this is what he said to Abraham. I will surely bless you. I will give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received the promise. And Abraham got credit for waiting patiently, even though he didn't wait patiently. Because the Lord said he did. The Lord said he did. Are you getting this today? When the Lord makes you a promise, he looks around because there's no one equal to him that he can swear by. He puts his name on it. He puts his blood to it and he swears by himself. He guarantees this message, right? <laughs> the test, everyone say this with me. The testimony of Jesus, testimony of Jesus. is the spirit of prophecy. Listen to that. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What Jesus did for his whole life is the prophetic uh, declaration of who the Father is and how the Father deals with us. And when we see Jesus, we see the Father. And when we, when we recognize him as the Son of God and we say, I believe you are the Son of God, the Bible says, how does it say we're saved? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, what? That Jesus is Lord. Why does it say that? Because the Bible says that in Philippians that because Jesus submitted himself, he surrendered himself to a cause that wasn't his own cause, it was his father's cause. And he surrendered himself to this cause and he laid aside his kingly authority and his rights as a king and he became a servant. Philippians 2. He became a servant and he came down and he washed the feet of disciples and he touched lepers and they were cleansed. And he healed the sick and he pulled the lame people up from their beds and they walked and he spoke and people were healed from a distance. He became a servant. The Bible says that because he humbled himself and became this servant, because God loved him so much and was so proud of who he was, that he gave him a name that was above every name. A name you could swear by. A name you could trust. A name that would never fail you. And at that name, every knee will bow. On heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Why is that important? Because lordship matters. Everyone say lordship. Matters. Christianity, the kingdom of God, is not a club that we just sign up for. It's a lordship. It's a kingdom where we can only enter into it in a submissive role, seeing that Jesus is the Lord of this kingdom. Why is that important? Because Jesus has all authority. Man, we're in this thing right now of learning what authority and power is. I still haven't gotten to listen to that message yet, but there, everywhere I'm hearing, there are lessons about authority. Matt brought one in class today. It was brilliant. I never thought of it before, never heard of it before. And when Jesus would say things, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, when he would say things, they were in awe of what he would say because he taught as one having authority. Again, I'll say this, it wasn't because he was just such a good teacher and when he spoke, two plus two equaled four and they got it now. It wasn't just that. It was because when he spoke, the entire atmosphere bowed to his will. The, Jesus would teach, and then he would say something like this. Whatever's impossible with men is possible with God. So he would walk into an atmosphere of sickness and disease. Literally, a caravan, a circus of disease would follow him around. Picture it. 
all the sick people, all the people that were broke, all the people that, that needed something would follow Jesus around everywhere. That was the atmosphere. Now, I would think that if that, if that was, if every church service we came into, all that we had was sick people that were literally dying right here in the altar, it would be really hard for us to look past the sick people dying in the altar. Am I just... But when Jesus would enter into that atmosphere, he would declare something and all of a sudden the atmosphere would shift and then these people would become well. And all, all of a sudden, every person there that didn't think they needed something from him, all of a sudden had an ask list. Why? Because Jesus said something in authority and it shifted the entire thought process of the whole crowd. The entire crowd became amazed, not just because a sick person became well, but because Jesus changed the minds of thousands of people in an instant to where now they believe that anything was possible. That's real authority. Someone being healed could be power. Authority is where now everyone in the room believes they can be touched. And Jesus operated in this authority because he surrendered himself to the cross he rose from the dead and he did exactly what his father said, all to protect his father's name and reputation. He did it so well that God said, I'm proud of you now. I'm going to give you a name that's above every name. And I'm giving all power. Everyone say all power. And all authority. Say all authority. Has been given to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He came and he says, now I give it to you. All power. You can heal the sick person. Power. And authority. You can heal the sick person and change the atmosphere where everyone in this room believes they can receive something from the kingdom. That's been given to you as dead people who are now alive. Amen? This is why we celebrate Easter. And it all, the foundation, all the kingdom is built upon is that God is God there is no one like him there's no one beside him I love that Psalm 8 man that, that you are excellent Lord in all the earth we respond to him right there is no one like God we we are building upon the foundation that God is who he says he is there are no empty promises that come out of his mouth is everyone receiving this today so father right now I ask that you would stir up hope in this room I ask that you would stir up an ask list in this room right now where we begin to come to you and ask and keep asking and knock and keep knocking and seek and keep seeking. Because you said everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks it's open to them. God, I ask right now that you would stir this up in this room, a desire to see more, to step into life, Lord, to really be alive. We trust your name. Tell him you trust his name. We trust you when you speak, God. You say what you mean and you mean what you say. You keep your word to us. You are faithful, God. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all, we can even imagine. We're going to close with this. When Jesus rose from the dead, it created a separation line between what was dead and what was alive. From here on, you and I are marked with the resurrection of Christ. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that because, because He lives in me, he continually confronts things that are dead and continues to draw a line and say, this is dead and this is alive. He, he confronts dead things, even when we don't want him to. Even when we're just at the park hanging out with our family, he confronts dead things that we didn't even know were there. Come on. <laughs> even in conversations with our kids, and they say something to us. He confronts dead things that we didn't know were there. Because we can no longer live in, and live in death. We're not dead people anymore. We've already been resurrected in Christ. We are in Christ. Everyone say, I am in Christ. 
we are seated in Christ in heavenly places. That when our body dies, we're not dead. We're already dead and we've already been risen from the dead. We're alive. That's why I said don't, don't fear someone who can kill your body. Fear the one who can steal your soul. We're already alive. So because of the cross and because of the empty grave, we carry around in us the death and the resurrection of Christ. And that means he will continue to confront any dead thing in our life. And this is speaking to where we're going next week, all right? What we talked about last week, if you missed it, listen to the podcast. Out of the, the, out of the temple of God, there's a river that flows. The further away from the temple it gets, the deeper the river gets. That's your assignment. That the kingdom gets deeper as you carry it further from the temple that you come to. And the fruit of your life and the leaves of your life are the healing and the food for the nations. And the cross and the, and the empty tomb that you carry upon you as a tattoo will confront dead things everywhere you go. You are made to conquer dead things. When Lazarus was dead... What did Jesus say to Lazarus? Come forth. Why did he say come forth? Because he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And he who believes in me, though he were dead, he will live. It's impossible for me not to quote the Carmen song when I quote that verse. Anyone remember the old Carmen? Lazarus, come forth. I command you. Oh, Carmen, Carmen. Anybody remember Carmen besides me? Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. He's still around. He's still doing good stuff, but yeah. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He confronts dead things. Once you stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you just love on him? Why don't you just tell him you trust him, yeah? We trust you, Father. <laughs> Your name is good. Your word is good. That's why David said, Your word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I won't sin against you. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. So Jesus... Resurrection, life, we ask that you would come right now and confront dead things. <laughs> Let me say this before we go here, because we're about to go there. When God confronts something dead, He doesn't stand there and, and worship how dead something is. Oh, you're so dead, and you're so full of bondage, and you're so... I have, of all the people I've set free today, you are the worst that I've seen. Of all the dead things I've seen, that's the deadest. He doesn't do that. He says, awaken. He says, come alive. He says our name, Lazarus, Nick, Bertha, and we come alive. He confronts it by speaking to who we are, not by worshiping what the dead thing is. So, Father... We ask you right now to do what you need to do in our hearts. We make a place for you right now. And Jesus, we ask for you to come and resurrect dead things. Confront dead things. Last thing, I promise. Jesus comes to his hometown. And he can only do a few miracles there because they didn't believe who he was because of the doubt in their heart. He could only do a few miracles. He had power still, but because of their lack of belief, because of their unbelief, the authority that he needed to have there was stopped because they wouldn't believe he was who he says he was. All they could see was, man, this is Joseph's son. Man, I remember when, when they broke the window down at so-and-so's house playing ball. That can't be the Messiah. Right? They started thinking of Jesus as just this typical, normal person. They didn't see him as the Messiah. And it shut down the authority for the region. So Jesus did a few miracles, because he's Jesus. But it wasn't on the scale of everyone else. Why? Because they didn't believe he was who he says he was. 
So I'm asking right now, Father, we ask that you would confront, Jesus, confront those places in our heart where we don't believe you are who you say you are. Where we say, oh, you can do this, but man, this thing is just a little too difficult. Or I don't know if you can do this. Or I'm scared to believe you for this. No, we believe you, Jesus. You can do all things. Nothing's impossible with you. So we ask for you to forgive us now for not believing who you are. Not just, maybe not even declaring that, but in our actions and our attitude towards you, God. Maybe in our, our hope level says we don't believe in you. I ask that you to stir up hope right now and faith in Jesus' name. Hmm. Why don't you pray for someone close to you? And we're going to pray one more thing and then we'll open the altars if you want special prayer for anything, salvation, for healing. We also have communion. You want to take communion as part of our altar time. We want you to do so. I just want you to, to begin to pray and minister. Not, we're not just praying now. We are ministering to one another. And I want you to minister that God would bring things to life, that they would come alive, right? Father, we believe in life. Today represents life. We declare spring in every season right now. We, just, we declare spring in the hearts and lives of every person in this room. We stir up hope right now in Jesus' name. We stir up hope, Father. We stir up hope, God. Hmm. A hope revolution. A faith revolution right now. We are believers We are believers. You're a believer, man. You better get your ask list out. Start asking them. Hmm. Jesus said, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you His kingdom. It's His desire. It's His greatest desire to give you the fullness of the kingdom. Come on, let's pray into this. Come on, right where you're at. Father, we release the presence right now. We ask that your presence will come and bring, bring breakthrough right now. We call those things that are not as though they are. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, and we prophesy over dead things right now. <laughs> you said, hey, can these bones live again? And he's like, I don't know. And he said, prophesy over the bones. Prophesy over the bones. We prophesy over dead things right now. We prophesy over dead things to come alive. We say what the Father's saying. It becomes prophetic in our life, God, and it brings life. Confront dead things. Confront dead things. Confront dead things. We will be fruitful, God. Mm. Something that uh, the Lord, uh, you guys know this, I've told you this, but the Lord's doing a sozo a week, sometimes more. I've asked him to. I've asked him, I've said, he's told me, he said, if you'll give me permission, I'll give you a sozo a week. And if you don't know what the word sozo means, it's a Greek word that means saved, healed, and delivered. And it, and it speaks of, of the whole being coming alive. And so he told me, I think it was October, uh, end of October, somewhere in there. And he says, if you'll let me, I'll give you a sozo a week. I'll confront dead things and bring them to life if you'll let me. And I was like, well, Lord, I want you to. And he says, well, then nothing can be off limits. <laughs> that's, that's the hard part is, is giving him full access. And so I encourage you to do that. I feel like the Lord has given me permission to ask you to do the same thing. If you'll let him, he'll give you a sozo a week. He'll confront dead things. He'll bring things to life. The only thing that he asks is to, to give him full rights and full access.
full security clearance. Where he knows the deepest, darkest secret codes of our life. Where those things are even on the table. So Lord, we ask that you would do that. We give you permission. We know that we, we couldn't stop you if you wanted to. But we love that you ask us permission. We love that you respect us. And you're gentle. And you ask us for permission. So we give you permission. <laughs> Sozo us once a week, at least once a week, God. Confront dead things in our life. Nothing's off limits. Past, present, future, it's all on the table, God. Full disclosure. Because we trust you. It's always for our benefit. If you want prayer, uh, we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. If you want to give your heart to the Lord... Today's the best day to give your heart to the Lord. I know Matt led us in that prayer earlier, but if you want someone else to pray with you, don't wait. Today's the day to give your heart to the Lord. It's a good day. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation, right? So you want to do that? We're, we'll meet you here. If you need healing for anything, spirit, soul, body, we want to pray over you. And if you need a miracle, you just need breakthrough, someone will meet you here in the middle, all right? We have communion. You want to take communion? We'd love for you to. Um, what we've done, and we did this Friday night, but take it as a family, and, so, as, and the spiritual leader of the home, would you lead in the prayer over the bread and over the blood, and, uh, or the, it's not blood actually, the grape juice, um, so Father, we just bless this time, we ask that you bless everyone here, abundantly God bless us, we pray that this week there will be testimonies of life, in Jesus name, I want to thank you all for being here.